This morning we're going to continue with the series we've been doing here uh, through Lent. And we, we were, when the, we thought the series was thought up, Neil was explaining that Lent is quite popular, it's quite in fashion at the moment, and people give up alcohol for Lent or they give up chocolate and those type of things. And so it's almost like Lent has become just completely separate from the church and that's something that we'll do for self-improvement. Um, and so what we're looking at is this series of do something new. What spiritual principles can we actually pick up that don't just aren't about me and self-improvement, but a spiritual principle or practice that I can pick up and run with that will impact the way that I deal with society and people and how I can bless people in my sphere of influence. We've looked at prayer. Uh, Rich and Mary spoke on uh, prayer. Uh, last week, Arthur talked on giving. And I'm continuing on a similar sort of theme of generosity. And so we're going to look at generosity this morning, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. This is part of Paul's letter where he's talking to the church in Corinth about what's often referred to as the Jerusalem collection. It was a collection that was being administered and collected by Paul and some of the apostles to help churches in and around Jerusalem. They were struggling desperately there uh, because of persecution, high taxes, famine, and a whole host of reasons. And so Paul encourages churches, and he's spoken to the churches in Corinth and Macedonia in the past about giving to this collection to help the church and being generous in that collection. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians, start at chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So here in this, first part, in this part, first part of the chapter, we see Paul 
is talking to the church in Corinth, encouraging them to be generous. And as sort of as a carrot and as a, as a, a provoking method and an example, he's using what's happened already in the church in Macedonia in their giving. He's asking for generosity because he's asking the, the church in Corinth to give to people they probably didn't know in the Jerusalem churches. It's also an interesting example because here we have Paul talking to the Gentile churches, asking them to be generous and give money to the Jewish churches, the Jews who become Christians in Jerusalem. So it's a great example of the early church, of everybody coming together. Some people would have had issues with the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul is encouraging them all to work together as one body. And so this morning, I just want to have a quick look at some pointers that help us and maybe help us in our daily lives as we go around as disciples of Jesus, living generous lives that impact the people in our sphere of influence on our front line. Now, when anyone says from the church or in a TV advert that they're going to talk to you about being generous, you kind of feel that invisible hand reaching in your pocket to get grab your wallet, don't you? And when people say, we need you to give generously, the question that people, the first thing you think of, how much? How much is it going to cost me? What amount do you want? You know, every year we'll see on the news at some point, some multimillionaire or billionaire will make a huge donation, won't they, to some foundation or some charity to solve some problem in the world. And the newspapers and the news channels will be buzzing that this millionaire is giving this, this so much money, so many millions, and just how generous he is because of the large donation he's made. Another place where we hear the word generous, have you ever watched the cooking shows? Jamie Oliver's a good one. Whenever he's making something, he's making some gravy, and he comes to put some wine in, and they'll say to him, how much wine? Oh, a generous amount of wine. He means a lot. Pile it in. Generous amount. And so that word generous, we often think and link it to amount, normally a large amount. But what's interesting is when Paul is talking to the church here, Paul isn't interested in the amount. Paul isn't talking about amount at all. When Paul's talking about generosity, Paul is talking about attitude, an attitude of heart. So for Paul, when he's talking here, generosity is not about amount, it's about an attitude of heart. In verse 3 he says, For I testify they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. That shows a generous heart, doesn't it? That shows a generous spirit. It was entirely on their own, Paul says. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So here we find out the people in Macedonia, in the church in Macedonia, Paul shared with them the need and the, 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 the desperate situation for the churches in Jerusalem. And not only did they begrudgingly give, but they, they wanted to know, could they be part of it? They wanted to give and they gave not only what was... They're able, but they even went beyond that. We haven't got time. If we've gone and carried on reading to Corinthians 9, verse 7, Paul says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't say God loves a big giver. God loves the person who gives the most. God loves the person that writes the big check. It says God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, God's interested in the attitude of heart that you give it in. And whereas in our society, our thinking, we like numbers and we like facts and figures. In a computer age, we have so many facts and figures thrown at us. 
that we like to put a number and we like to put a figure on it. And so when that person, that millionaire, because he gives a big amount of money, then he's called generous. But actually what Paul's saying is it's not about the amount you give, it's the heart attitude that you give it in, which is the generosity. So generosity is not about amount, it's about an attitude of heart. We all know that our attitude is linked to our relationship with Jesus, don't we? We know that if we're in a fresh, living daily relationship with Jesus, it affects the way that we behave and the way that we treat other people. That generosity flows out of a right relationship with Jesus. In verse 5, uh, chapter 8, Paul writes, And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. We know that the Macedonian church had committed themselves to God. Their, their desire in life as they lived was to serve and honor God. And what's interesting is the order there. Paul is an apostle who's, you know, it's very easy sometimes that people want to impress a visiting speaker that comes in, don't they? But they're not interested in, firstly, in impressing Paul. It's firstly they've committed themselves to God and then to Paul. They're committed to God and then to man. Arthur spoke last week. It was really challenging, and he spoke about we're not here to, it's not about other people's opinion of us. It's not when we give uh, with our left hand, don't let the other hand know what it's doing. It's not about making a fuss and about impressing people with our giving. It's about serving God first. And the Macedonian church had got that right, and so they have an attitude and a heart of generosity. But it comes out of a right relationship with God. And so, what is it that we can be generous with? This spirit of generosity, this heart of generosity that we have, how does it show itself? Well, obviously, finance is the obvious one. Paul here is talking about finance. He talked to the Corinthian church earlier. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, Paul talks to them about giving to the uh, Jerusalem collection. And he actually, whereas here he's talking sort of corporately to the church, it's very easy for him to, to see that he's talking to the church as a whole. Earlier in, in, in Corinthians, in Corinthians 1, he's at, he actually says that each member of the church should put aside an amount of money each week that they've earned so that they're ready to make a collection. A principle of each and every one of us having an individual responsibility to help fund the church. Paul makes it personal. There was a, there was a book that um, some of you may have seen it on Facebook. Neil had put a link to a book and the name of it escapes me now. But the guy that wrote the book had a, a, a quote that he was saying about himself. It says, sometimes I'm more in, the, in love with the idea of changing the world than I am in actually changing the world. You know, we can talk here and we talk about our vision and our mission here is to reach the city of Salford. It's to make an impact on people so that people in this area know there's a God that loves them and that there's a God that cares for them and a God that's interested in them. And we can talk about mission and it's good to do that. And we can come and we can worship together. And it's good to do that. But you know, sometimes our c commitment to that vision takes a bit of sacrifice as well. And so each and every one of us has a duty and a responsibility in running the finance of the church as well. You know, the, even this morning, we can talk that we've come to hear the sermon and we've come to worship. And we talk about the things of God and that's good and right that we do. But you know, there's actually a financial implication even to a Sunday morning service. We sat here in a nice building. The heating's on, so we're all nice and warm. Costs money. The lights are on, so you can see what's going on. Costs money. We're using a sound system. 
which runs on electricity. We're going to have tea and coffee afterwards. Those are just silly little examples, but there's a cost to everything that we do as church. And so each and every one of us has a responsibility as well. We like the idea of changing the world, and sometimes we don't actually like the idea of actually doing it. And part of our giving to our local fellowship is an important part of that. There was a minister that stood up at the front of his church, and he said, you know, he says, I need to talk to you about church finances. He said, and there's two things I've realized about our church finances that have really blessed me this week, and I just want to share them with you. He said, the first thing, he says, God has shown me that our church now has all the finance it needs for everything that he's called us to do. We have all the finance we need. To which there was lots of praise the Lord, hallelujahs, preach it, a round of applause. He said, and the second thing, he said, that really blessed me this week, he said, I realized just how gracious God is and that he's been allowing me and you to keep that money in our bank account until the church needs it. <laughs> there weren't so many praise the Lords and hallelujahs at that point. Each and every one of us, that generosity of spirit can flow and can be demonstrated in our commitment to us as a fellowship that we're one fellowship here to serve God and there's a financial implication. If you come and you don't give and you'd like to, then have a word with Joe afterwards who has the forms that you can fill in and you can give on a monthly basis or you can put your money in the offering. But it's part of our service to God. It's part of who we are and that generosity flows out of our finance but also there's other areas that we can be generous what about our time time is something that's really precious isn't it all of us are manically busy and manically pushed and sometimes we can be living our life and we miss an opportunity someone comes to us and they need some help and, oh, and you think that's another half an hour of my life I'm never going to get back but you know that generosity of spirit should result that we're prepared to give people our time what about generosity in our encouragement and praise? Are we looking for opportunities where we can encourage people and tell them how well they've done? On a Sunday morning when we come to church and a service takes place, do we tell the music group and Ian how wonderful the worship was? Do we tell Neil when he's done his sermon what an encouragement and a blessing it was? Or do we just expect it to be good and the only time we say something is actually when we don't think it's very good or the music's too loud or Neil's had a bad week? or something like that. Do we only mention things rather than for encouragement and praise, but do we only mention things when it's not how we want? What about friendship? Are we generous with our friendship? Generous in the way that that person at work that somehow seems on the outside to everybody else, that maybe just needs someone to befriend them. You're not being their friend because you need another friend. You're not being your friend because of what you get back, but you want to extend your friendship to them so they know that there's someone who loves them and cares for them. What about generosity and forgiveness? That can be a hard one. I remember a friend of mine spoke a few years ago, and it's always stuck with me, and he always said, it's better to forgive too much than to forgive too little. Can we be generous with our forgiveness? It all flows out of a right relationship with God, and sometimes we can be so busy in life doing things that somehow we miss what God has called us to do. But giving ourselves first to God, him being the focus as we live our lives, is what ensures that that generosity flows. There's a, there's a story of um, Charles Spurgeon tells, and it illustrates how we can be so busy doing even good things for God that somehow we miss our own responsibility to generosity. 
It says, Charles Spurgeon tells of receiving a wealthy man's invitation to come and preach at his rural church to help the members raise funds to pay off a debt. The man went on in his letter to tell Spurgeon that while he was there, he was free to use his country house, his townhouse, or his seaside home. Spurgeon wrote one line back and said, sell one of these places and pay the debt yourself. <laughs> Sometimes we can be so busy, can't we? Looking and thinking that we're doing the work of God that we can miss the opportunities that you and I have to be generous as we go about living our life. So generosity is not about, about amount, it's about attitude of heart. If we go back to our millionaire who's made this big donation that I, I talked about at the start, what happens when that, that hits the news? Someone always says, and you hear it, you might have said it yourself, well, if I had a hundred million pound in the bank, I could be generous as well. We use that excuse, don't we, that I would be generous if I had the money, but I just don't have it. It's easy to be generous when I'm rich, but not in my circumstance and situation. But Paul doesn't let us or the churches that he's writing to off that easily. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2 he says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's a church in Macedonia. Extreme poverty, severe trial, yet they were still able to be generous. And to the Corinthian church in verse 14 he says, At the present time your plenty will supply what they need. So we have a church in plenty, and we have a church in extreme poverty. Yet Paul still expects and demands generosity from both. See, generosity isn't just about what I have or don't have. Generosity is illustrated when the Macedonian church, even in extreme poverty, saw the need in Jerusalem and said, we've got to do something. We've got to help. Generosity is not about the value of what I have, but how I value others. Let me give you an example. There was a video clip on someone who posted on Facebook a few months ago, or about a month ago, and it was, um, it was showing a, a, a clip of a TV show, one of these hidden camera TV shows they do in America to see how the public will react. And what they did is they got two actresses, and one of them they set up as a checkout operator in a supermarket, and the other what lady they put as a customer in the queue. And so they had hidden cameras to see how the public would react. And what happened was the lady, the actress in the queue, she gets to the front of the checkout and she's buying nappies, baby food, and general essentials if you've got a baby. And she's paying with welfare vouchers and she gets to the front and she hasn't got enough money. And so there's much crying and explaining she doesn't have the money. And they're waiting to see what the people in the queue would do. And so people in the queue, quite a lot of them actually, volunteered, went up and said, I'll pay for that. Just take the stuff, I'll pay for it. And what was interesting, what made me smile was, there was a, a guy doing like a voiceover, you know, over the, over the video clips, and he was kind of a bit cheesy American, and he wanted us all to feel good, and the world's a warm, fluffy place. And he says, well, well we were amazed that time and time again, people volunteered to step up and pay for the funds. And even those who didn't volunteer to pay, when we asked them afterwards, said they would have done if they were in a position to do so. Now, first, it's got to be pretty embarrassing to be on national TV and ignore the woman, isn't it? So they're going to think of an excuse when they're interviewed. But what were they really saying? I would have given if I was in a position to do so. Now, they're in a supermarket. They're in a queue to buy something. So we've got to assume that they've got money in their pocket. And so what I think they're actually saying when they said, I would have done if I was in a position to do so, 
What they're saying is, what I was buying from me was more important than that lady's need. Now, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. Maybe some of them are buying some life-saving medication or something. But I reckon there must have been a few people in that queue buying a bottle of wine, a DVD, and something nice to eat for tea. But what they were saying is, me having a nice, relaxed time at home this evening is more important than what you need. I haven't got enough money to have that and help you. But Paul doesn't let people off, whether you have a lot or you have a little. And you know, I believe that God places each of us in our particular sphere of influence because we have something to give. As we go about our daily lives on, on the front line, dealing with people, we see needs, whether we need to be generous with our time, whether it's with wisdom, whether it's encouragement, whatever it is. And God has placed us there because we have something to give in that circumstance and situation. So even when it feels like we don't have something, you know, God's placed us there because he sees a need. There's a, a song when I was growing up uh, in the very early 90s, a guy called Chesney Hawks. Does anyone remember him? A one-hit wonder, bless him. Yeah, shot to fame and shot back down as quickly as possible. And he had a song called I Am The One And Only. And there was a line on the song that I love. And it says, no one can be myself like I can. For this job, I'm the best man. And one thing that's true, you're the one and only you. And yeah, I love that because whatever, however clever you are or good looking you are, none of you can be Steve Hollick better than me. I've absolutely got the lock on it. And so it makes me wonder that God in his infinite wisdom looks down at the world and sees circumstances and situations and he'll look down and he says, you know, that situation there, there's a college, there's a street, there's a work, there's a family. What would work perfectly there is an Ian Peacock. Now, as it happens, I've got an Ian Peacock and I'm going to put him in this place because I've given him the talents, the abilities, the resources, the life experiences that he needs to meet the needs of the people that he sees. All he's got to do is be generous. So each and every one of us has something to give. In verse 12 of chapter 8, Paul says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. How long do we spend thinking about things that we don't have? And I would give this if I had it. I would do that if I could do it. But you know what? God's already given you something to give. It's just about you being open and generous and releasing it. Generosity is not about the value of what I have. It's about how I value others. And so, if we go about living our lives generously, understanding that God has given us things, understanding that we are equipped to deal with the circumstances and the situations and the needs of others, how does it play out? How, what happens when we show the generosity, that generosity of heart? Well, if we skip forward to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11, this is what Paul writes. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
And this is, the, this is the killer verse. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Arthur talked last week, didn't he, about the reward that we get for giving, the blessing and the return that we get for giving. And you know what Paul's telling us there is, as we give, as we're generous, God pours in the blessing God blesses us. But it's not so we can say, I gave him a tenner and I got 30 quid back. It's not an investment opportunity that God's talking about. He's talking about that reward that as we generously give, God blesses us. Why? So we can continue to be generous. So that we don't run out of what we need to keep blessing and helping and serving different situations. God blesses us as we're generous so that we can continue to be generous. But like Arthur said last week, really, it's not an advert for me. It's a signpost to him. Paul writes, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. As we live our lives in our workplace, family situations on our street, as we live our lives with generosity, giving what God has given us, sown it into the society and the people around us, it serves as a signpost to a generation that needs to know that there's a God that loves them and that there's a God that cares for them. Generosity is never an advert for me, but it should always be a signpost to him. I'm going to finish with a story. It's a story that my father-in-law told, who's here today, so I have to credit him with a story. Um, they very generously come up to look after our kids while we go away this week. It shows generosity. If you know Jamie and they're looking after him for a week, it just shows how generous they really are. But Roy tells a story, and he knows the people, so we know it's true. And it's of a farmer and a bank manager. And the farmer and the bank manager had, had known each other for a good amount of time. And the farmer turned up for a meeting with his bank manager. But this time he turned up with his brother. And the farmer says to the bank manager, before we go and conduct our business, my brother's here and he wants to ask you a question. And so the brother sits up and says, I'm a farmer, hardworking farmer, just like my brother. Um, and what I'd like is the bank to lend me £40,000. And so the bank manager looks at the farmer, his customer, he looks at the brother, and he just said, I'm sorry, but the bank can't lend you the money. And so the meeting ended and they went their ways. A little while later, the farmer bumps into the bank manager and he says, when I, last time I came, I brought my brother and I explained he was a farmer like I am and he wanted to borrow the money. And he asked you if you could borrow the money and you just looked at him, looked at me, looked at him and said, I can't lend you the money. He says, how did you make such a fast decision? And the bank manager said, well, I know that you're a hard-working farmer. And then your brother comes in and tells me he's a hard-working farmer just like you. He says, I looked at his hands and I looked at your hands and I knew I couldn't lend him the money. See, what the bank manager was saying was, a hard-working farmer's hands show some marks and some calluses and some wear and some tear and maybe a bit of grime under the fingernails. But the brother who was saying he was a hard-working farmer had smooth, soft hands. His hands didn't back up what his mouth was saying. You know, we go out, don't we, and we say that we're Christians. We say that we're followers of Jesus. Do the work of your hands back up what your mouth is saying? When people look at the work of your hands, the things that you do, each week, the way that you deal with people, the generosity that you show, does it demonstrate and back up that you're a follower of Jesus Christ?
that you're there to show God's love for the world. In verse 9 of chapter 8, Jesus, uh, Paul says, Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that we could become rich. He talked about Jesus' generosity. We all know that Jesus' generosity left marks on his hands. It left a nail print on each hand for me and for you because of Jesus' generosity. In our life, do the work of our hands back up what we're saying with our mouths? Generosity, as Paul talks about it, is not about amount. It's about an attitude of heart. It's about our current relationship with God and out of our love and allowing the Spirit to guide us day by day, out of that flows an attitude of generosity. It's not about the value of what I have, but it's about how I value others. How do I see people in my sphere of influence? Do I see them like Jesus sees them? Do I care for them like Jesus cares for them? And generosity is never an advert for me, but it should always be a signpost to him.